Hey everybody, welcome back to Fresh Out the Podcast, the only podcast where you can see Drew and Gary kiss a little. Uh, I am the board game guru and game master extraordinaire, Jahananan. Oh, right, any other podcast that has me and Drew has us kissing a lot. This is the only one where we kiss a little. It's me, Casualty CBG. I'm the co-host of Fresh Out the Box and Fresh Out the Podcast. Uh, if you have a show called Fresh Out the Anything, let me know and I'll co-host that too. I'm a retired child crimes and human trafficking detective turned tabletop titan and improv comedian. You could call me Gary. I'm the professional media and movie mastermind of the Funhouse, Drew Munhausen, and this is episode 42 of Fresh Out the Podcast, an episode where we're going to be talking about all the things that we've been watching or playing or doing recently, and uh, should be a pretty casual discussion. But first, I do have to say, I appreciate, Gary, your random voices and things at the top of the show that always catch me off guard, and... Uh, Mainly because they're they never seem to stem from anything. Like it's just whatever you're feeling like doing at that time. You know, last week I made the terrible. You know, I said my intro really fast because it was a Sonic joke. Like that was tied to Sonic. But Gary's, you know, you just never know what you're gonna get when you're fresh out the box. That's right. It's and it happens too. Like when I I wake up and I walk out of my bedroom, uh, and then I'm just insane. Uh, I just have a silly voice for a while and that's like maybe the first like 40 minutes of my day is like hey, this is a good this is a good voice. Let's just mess with the dogs. Let's just make the coffee. Let's just exist in this voice for a while. Yeah, I'm the same way once I finish crying and screaming. I uh go put on a funny voice and make coffee and get on with my day. That's uplifting. <laughs> I was going to ask, Jahan, if you had any, any voices or things that you do. I feel like I, I have voices all the time, yeah. I did one uh, last night uh, for our game. Cause, so in, in our TTRPG games, we have like a mechanic where viewers can name NPCs. Like They just spend these channel points that they accrue by watching the show, and they can name characters in the world. Just no reason. Uh, <laughs> someone wanted Dr. Whoopee Cushion. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool, thanks. Uh, so I made him, I made him Dr. Whoopee Cushion. And, like, I made him, like, German and made it, like, work a little bit. And people, people seem to enjoy my German accent. Uh, we might have to do a spinoff podcast from Fresh Out the Box where it's just you in that character. <laughs> Answering no medical write-in questions. Perfect, perfect. Sarah from Seattle asks me, how much is too much when it comes to facial cream? I'm glad you asked, Sarah. See, I, I, I got it. I can do it. <laughs> Man, I was waiting for the answer. Yeah, that, was, that was good. That was good. <laughs> you know, for a second, you actually, in your chair, I'm looking at you on, on my computer, and you actually turned into an older German doctor for a second. Uh, that's because I'm a method actor. Perfect, this is the perfect example of podcasting while we podcast. <laughs> this is, yeah, that's a good point. And I do voices, too. I mean, I'm a game master. We do them. Uh, I'm not the best at it but apparently according to everyone that makes me the best at it because mine are awful so you know um speaking of game master uh, last week on the podcast we were talking about video games 
that would make good movies. And I was talking about um, Lego Star Wars and the characters and <laughs> yeah. stuff there. And how I thought that might be a good movie. Apparently, there's like nine Star Wars movies and two spinoffs and a whole animated series. Based off of the Legos? Yeah, Based so off of made... the Legos? Who knew? They made that. That's cool. Apparently, the first Lego Star Wars game came out in like 2005, but the first Star Wars movie was was back in the late 70s. But that doesn't seem to make any sense. But isn't that hold crazy? On. Hold on, that doesn't. Hold on, let me look this up. Oh, it seems man. like you've got something wrong. Yeah, I think you got your facts backwards there. Mm-hmm. That's why they call you good old ass backwards, yeah. Drew. <laughs> okay, Drew. Lego was founded August 10th, 1932, in Denmark. So Lego yes, did come Lego... before Star Wars. Perfect. Okay, yeah. so they were the inspiration for the Star Wars movies that apparently have been popular enough to garner a whole franchise. Anyway, obviously that's crazy. You learn something new every day. Every day is a school day. Well, anyways, you know, we're going to casually talk about some of the stuff that we've been watching. And uh, I have a bunch of movies that I've seen, and I was going to talk about those if you don't Yeah, crank mind. them out, man. I didn't know that you watched movies. This is news to me. <laughs> they just call me the media and movie mastermind, but I actually don't watch movies. It's an ironic nickname. I get you. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the comedy here. Uh, like when you call a big guy tiny. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> there's there's humor right there if I've ever seen it. Man, we should be writers for that new Mario movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, uh... hey, little guy. <laughs> I saw saw a film that's been quite the buzz amongst the film community that is called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, man, I've been super stoked to see that one. I haven't yet. It is directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who together have been known as The Daniels. So when you see it in the credits, directed by The Daniels. And, uh... This is a multiverse movie starring Michelle Yeoh and uh, Ki-Huai Kwan is in it, who he's known for playing uh, Data in The Goonies or Short Round in uh, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones movie. And uh, he's been off, hasn't been in a movie in forever. And he's the, the male lead in this. And he's awesome. First off, I'll say that he's so good in it. Uh, and Michelle Yeoh is, is wonderful as well. Everybody and she's from is, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She is. Uh, and she's been around. You know, she was just in Shang-Chi. And she, she's in Avatar 2 coming out this year. She's she's working. She's doing a lot of stuff. Um, and this is a really great film. And let me first start off by saying my experience seeing this. It is, it is in theaters right now. I think it's released wide. But... Um, my local Regal Theater is the one that I usually go to, but the times were not good. So I actually ventured out to our local Alamo Draft House to see this. And it was a packed screening. It was the first time that I'd been to a packed theater in a while because I go to so many weeknight showings of movies. Like I saw Sonic on a Thursday night and there were some kids in there, but it was like eight o'clock showing um, on a school night. But this I saw, and it was a packed theater, and boy, that was the way to see it. Like, everybody was totally into this movie, and you're at Alamo, so you're getting a lot of film fans in general. Um, Did they sell bagels? They don't have bagels. They should have bagels. They do have breakfast items on their menu, though. 
But this is uh, the, you know, according to Wikipedia, this the plot follows a Chinese-American woman being audited by the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, who discovers that she must connect with versions of herself from different parallel universes in order to prevent the destruction of them all by an evil entity. So that's the, the plot. Hell yeah. Um, which so is kind of funny. Is this the that... plot of your modern age threefold campaign? Yes, it is actually like, the plot of 100%. my modern age. <laughs> I've been running a, a, a TTRPG campaign for a few months now, uh, which has a similar plot. But yeah, I mean, multiverses are multiverses. Honestly, right. it's just the plot from the one anyways. Which <laughs> He throws a motorcycle in that movie. Does that, anybody throw a motorcycle in everything, everywhere? That all lady has a mouse in her shoe. Watch out. If anybody does throw... A motorcycle. That's all right. No, this movie looks was... fantastic. I'll, I'll say. Yeah, and so um, w- worth noting because this is kind of funny. Obviously, this movie is out in theaters a few weeks before the new Doctor Strange movie comes mm-hmm. out, which is in the multiverse of madness and is going to be dealing with multiverses. So it's just kind of funny that this you know totally independent movie has come out, but it is from. Uh, the production company called AGBO, which is the one that was founded by the Russo brothers, who directed, you know, obviously, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, amongst others. And they, they've they had their production company that's done a lot of different movies that of varying levels of, of quality, like that Extraction movie with uh, Chris Hemsworth that dropped on Netflix during, I think it came out during the pandemic. Yeah. It's like an action movie. You know, they've done things like that. It was pretty good. Um, but this one in particular of the ones they've come out with so far has been has been really good. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is just one I don't want to get too much into the like all the like spoilers or anything because it's so good that this is a movie yeah. people should go see. I, I, I knew that it would be fun, um, but even more so than I expected. Some of the different multiverses that are tapped into here, you know, does kind of the, the what you would expect in some ways where. She, so the main character ha- has to tap into different versions of herself from across different universes. Mm-hmm. And one of those may be like a, a Kung Fu master, or Taekwondo master. And so all of a sudden she has those skills. But then there might be a world where they have hot dogs for fingers. And like that's that dimension. So there's just it gets into truly the bizarre and it brings so much comedy and fun into this movie that is just totally out there for anybody that's tired of franchise films and wanting something new and unique. Um, you know, here it is. It's out in theaters. You can go see it right now. I, and I, I give it the highest recommendation. I had such a good time with this. You know how uh, they say science fiction becomes science fact? Uh, how many years out do you think we are until we're able to interact with multiverses? Fifty. 50? That's gonna... That's insane. That's crazy. (laughs) Okay, that's all. Just a quick aside. Multiverses in general are... It's such an interesting concept um, that, you know, has always been around in comics for a long time, and now we're finally starting to see that in these movies with Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange, and I'm happy that it's lending itself to things outside of the Marvel universe too, just because there's so many interesting things that can be done with it. But I think we owe thanks to the Marvel movies in a sense for getting mass audiences to the point where they're ready for, where they can understand it. Yeah. 
where like my 70 year old father can go to the movies and understand you know what a multiverse is i think i think a lot of credit is owed to marvel for that you're not wrong yeah, you know, not helping broaden the not everybody mind. was sitting around talking about string theory like a bunch of goons before those yeah. movies came out. <laughs> Some of us were. Some of us were. Uh, no, the I the whole time Loki was on, uh, I was like, oh, okay, they're using this to ex- to get people ready for this nonsense that they're about to shoot at you. Uh, because if like Spider Man and Multiverse of Madness came out of nowhere. Uh, I don't think a broader audience would really be able to to handle it. You know, they'd they'd be like, "Oh, this is dumb. like they want to get it." And I think that the multiverse that we live in in real life is the reality TV multiverse. I think that's what ours is compared to the rest of them. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like we've had, if if the regular multiverse came here, they'd be. We've like, had two. Oh cele- God. We've had two celebrity presidents. So yeah, <laughs> it's like everything is commercials and reality TV here. This is the worst place. I love I love that in Back to the Future where he's like, "Who's the president?" and he's like, "Ah, uh, Ronald Reagan." He's like, "The actor? Don't be ridiculous!" Like it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just really funny. Uh, great, great Back to the Future line. Um, Looking so forward yeah. to President James the Rock Johnson. It's <laughs> a good call. Uh, yeah, so that's everything, everywhere, all at once. Go see it. Um, it's really good. And then a, another film that I watched was called The Night House. This actually just came out on HBO Max, uh, I think, last week at the time we're recording this and uh, I actually bought the Blu-ray like months ago because I wanted to see it and then it dropped on HBO Max and I still hadn't watched it yet and I was like well guess I better put in the Blu-ray that I bought and watch this and so I refused to watch it streaming since I owned it and I watched the disc version of it. This is a horror movie starring Rebecca Hall and basically it's about a, a widow who her her husband just died by committing suicide and so she's alone and of course starts having visions or feels like she's being potentially haunted or communicated with by her deceased husband yeah that's the simple version of the plot and um i love rebecca hall i'm like all on board the rebecca hall, put rebecca hall in everything train um I think she's wonderful. But what else is she in? She's in uh, what I just watched recently, The Prestige, and she's in The Town with the Ben Affleck movie that's really good. She is in. I'm trying to think what else that's like mainstream. <laughs> I'm not looking up. I haven't seen either of those. Uh, she was in Godzilla vs Kong most recently. <laughs> okay, I did see that. My mom's a huge Godzilla fan. So she, uh, she's around. She's she's been in a lot of stuff. Probably oh, somebody... she was uh, in Iron Man three. She is in Iron Man three. Um, just somebody who I feel like should be a bigger deal than she is. I think she's very wonderful, and she's really good in this movie. And if it wasn't for her in this movie, I think this movie probably wouldn't be very good. I really wanted to like it, and it it's just. I mean, it's it's fine. It's just. If you're looking for a psychological horror movie to watch, I'd say put it on, but it, I'm not giving it my highest recommendation necessarily. It's like a solid 6 out of 10. 
I liked Dayhouse more. I thought the entire feeling of the movie was just a little bit lighter. I liked Don House. It had a little bit of something for everyone. Mm. Mm. Y'all are doing that thing where you all start making jokes and keeping your straight faces about it, and all I can sit here and do is go, hmm. hmm. <laughs> Good. Good. I like you guys. I'm glad to have a podcast with y'all regularly. Uh, <laughs> The other thing that I've watched recently, uh, which I believe Gary has watched as well, was no, a documentary. I have you have not watched this? Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, it's a documentary <laughs> <laughs> that premiered at South by Southwest. It's now on uh, HBO yeah. Max, and it is called Tony Hawk Until the Wheels Fall Off. And it is a documentary that looks at the career of Tony Hawk truly from when he was a kid and learning about his family and his siblings and everything to uh to to now and what'd you think of this gary i actually really liked it but i i grew up in like the the 90s right and so tony hawk pro skater was like one of the best video games for me influential at the time uh, i loved the music i loved you know skate shops i thought decks were cool i used to watch the cky tapes and wear skate shoes so I'm really influenced by Tony Hawk uh, in my life, even though I wasn't a skater. Um, I think he was kind of like a pop culture icon for me. So I went into this already liking it. But let's, let's just start there. Uh, I was on board from the get-go. I thought it was great learning about Tony Hawk and, uh, you know, hearing about him through other people. He sort of is just quiet and focused. That sort of just is who he is. I always wondered if he was... You know, what Tony Hawk was really like behind closed doors. Uh, when you see him in stuff like Jackass, he doesn't talk to the camera. You know, he, he doesn't do a whole bit. He's just kind of there. He skateboards and he's gone. Um, so to see this look inside his life and, you know, he's just kind of is that way. That That's just sort of who Tony Hawk is. Um, it was great to see some of the other old skaters that I was used to, especially Rodney Mullen. Uh, Rodney Mullen's one of my favorite street skaters of all time. Uh, and I know he had some health issues a while back. And so to see him, uh, he's alive and kicking. And he's not just alive and kicking. He seems like one of the chillest, coolest dudes in the world. Uh, he seems like he's really vibing on some good stuff, man. He just seems like really pleasant to be around. Um, cool to see the bowl competitions. Cool to see how skating changed and how he was instrumental in that change of skating. Uh, there's a lot to it. It's not just a documentary about Tony Hawk. It's also a documentary about the death of skating in the late 70s, the rebirth of skating in the late 80s, and then the death of skating in the mid-90s, and then the rebirth of skating. So uh, it's 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 just as much about Tony Hawk as it is about professional skating uh, as a whole. I, I have nothing but great things to say about um, Tony Hawk until the wheels fall off. Uh, I, I absolutely loved it. I'm I'm totally with you, and I think you you touched on what I thought was most interesting about it as well is is just how by watching the history of Tony Hawk, you kind of see the history of skateboarding as well because I mean his career has kind of defined what skateboarding is as well. I I, I don't. Maybe that's being a little bit too... Um... No, you're not. You're not being too big, and you're not over overstating it. When skating was kind of coming to an end for the first time, it's cyclical. When it was coming to an end in the late 90s, 
uh, bowl tricks were all about uh, skating a pool and how much power you had. And could you push yourself and jump high enough to do a trick? Could you hold yourself up with your hands? And Tony Hawk's style changed that from speed, uh, from power tricks to speed tricks. So it changed skating from how strong you were in the bowl to could you ollie coming fast as hell up the lip of a pool. And if you could, it gave you so much more airtime that it unlocked all these new tricks that you were able to do with that much more time in the air. So Tony Hawk is professional skating. He was there when it changed, and he's been there every step of the way through the rebirths with the new tricks, with the 540 when it was the best trick you could do, with the 900 when it was the best trick you could do. Uh, Tony Hawk is skateboarding. Eats, sleeps, and breathes it. And I think this this movie, it, um, you know, it's like I thought I knew Tony Hawk, but it's like in reality, what did I know about Tony Hawk? Well, that he's a professional skateboarder. I know that he had a son named Riley Hawk that was a professional skateboarder. I know he's got a video game franchise that's named after him. I knew that he did the 900. And like, in hindsight, you know, it's kind of... Like really all that I knew. And so learning so much about him and his his family and how, you know, he was kind of the, as they said, like the accidental child. You know, he was born. His parents were in their 40s when he was born and he had siblings that were significantly older than him and just didn't just get along of, well in team sports. He was kind of the scrawny guy and didn't really like other people as much. Uh, yeah. So they needed to find something for him to compete. And he ended up loving skateboarding. But with there no being no professional competition scene, his dad founded the professional competition scene. And so not just is Tony Hawk skateboarding, his dad is skateboarding. Uh, and of course, that leads to a lot of is his dad, you know, was his dad fudging the numbers and making him win uh, competitions? And the answer to that appears to be no. Right. And and then also, you know, leading into the pr- the creation of the X Games, which really is what helped bring skateboarding back to light in the late 90s, I think in 99 or late 90s. Um, but anyway, and which which, again, you know, when you're looking at it as us growing up in the 90s, I remember when the Tony Hawk game came out and it was all the rage and skate culture became a huge thing for us when we were in middle school where, you know, all the boys wanted skate shoes and wanted to wear skate brands and we were buying skateboards and I, man, I tried and busted my butt a few times and said, Nope, this, this isn't for me. But some the culture was me, so uh, cool. Some kid called me a poser one time for wearing skate shoes and not skateboarding. I was like, man, it's like walking on the cloud, man. Skate shoes are comfortable as hell. Like, don't don't gatekeep comfortable shoes. That's dick. That's all I got. So, um, obviously, that's that's a documentary that it's kind of near and dear to me and Gary, having the nostalgia for it. But it just hit a sweet spot and. Yeah, it talks about the games and all that. But yeah, so highly recommend Tony Hawk until the wheels fall off. It yeah, I really like Tony Hawk too, and uh, I like the games. <clears throat> Grew up with all that stuff too, but I just didn't watch the documentary. Uh, but it's just nice that there's uh, a hero out there that didn't, you know, <laughs> like corner <laughs> corner actresses in a yeah. hotel. You know, it's just it's thank you Tony Hawk for not being a fucking monster. <laughs> Yeah, man. Thanks for not being a James Franco. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just, uh, it's so hard. It's so hard now. And that's on HBO, right, Drew? 
It is. Okay. I was just making sure for anybody watching, wondering where to watch Tony Hawk. Uh, that one's on HBO. And I was going to move on from it, but I just also wanted to add, if I had to complain about anything, it's a smidge too long. It's like two hours and 15 minutes, and I feel like it could have been cut a little bit. But the other thing I wanted to say about it that I thought was good for the documentary just for the sake of filmmaking is it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows about Tony Hawk. Like, it does get into the end about these skaters and their mindsets and how they're old. Like, they're all in their 50s, some of these original crew, and they're all still skating, and they're all still getting hurt. And and just the mindset of skaters and how they can't stop. And it did kind of leave on, a like, almost a cryptic note, um, which I won't say I won't say anything more about in in you know i don't want to spoil anything for anybody that might want to watch this but it did get into the other side of it too of like it's not all yeah skateboarding's awesome and if you skate you're cool it's like these guys have suffered a lot because of skating too yeah that was, was they had to talk about uh whenever he had his first kid you know that was when skateboarding crashed the first time so he was working crap jobs and barely bringing home sense his wife was the breadwinner and he was trying to still skateboard and so he's breaking his ribs on the weekend, making no money, trying to raise a family and be a part of the family and almost had to give up skateboarding a bunch of different times through his life. Uh, yeah, and it's just, you know, when you think about that, like you're a competitor, right? And these guys don't have insurance. It's it's just a guy with a skateboard. He breaks his rib and he still needs to make ends meet. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not all sunshine and roses. That's right. Um, the other thing that I watched on Netflix, I don't know if either of y'all have watched this. It's a one of those kind of true crime documentary series that Netflix is popular for, and it's called Bad Vegan, Fame, Fraud, Fugitives. Have y'all heard of this by any chance? No. Heard of it. I've seen the cover a lot. I've read the description, and I have not clicked on it. And depending on what words you say next, maybe I will. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty quick watch. It's four episodes. Um, so it's not, you know, like the longest series that you're devoting yourself to. But I don't watch these true crime documentaries all the time. My wife likes them a lot more than I do. But I do like to watch them on occasion. And this just happened to be one of the ones that we, we threw on. And uh, it's okay. It's, it's, it's one of those s- stories you watch where there's like, Similar to the Tinder swindler, right? You remember how he, the Tinder swindler was manipulating these women and getting money from them. And as you're watching it, you're going, why, like, why do you keep giving this guy money? Why do you keep doing these? But, but it puts you in the shoes of those women and, and really where they were coming from. So you can understand. And this is kind of a similar story in that way, where it's like, this woman is getting conned by somebody, but it gets to a point where it's like, how are you? Like, I can't even sympathize with you anymore because you should have caught on to this so long ago. Um, Because it's one of those long cons of a woman who owned a vegan restaurant and was transferring money from the restaurant to this guy um, who became her husband in a strange scenario. And, uh, you know, just the whole time you're kind of scratching your head, like, how is this? How has this person been, you know, brainwashed or manipulated to this point. So it's one of those stories. Um, and I would say that it was, it was interesting. I, I enjoyed watching it for the most part, but it, it's again, and I use this a lot when I'm reviewing these things. It's not one that I'm running down the street saying, ah, oh, you should watch this. You should watch this. But, but I didn't 
I didn't dislike my time watching it or anything. Like it was fine. It was fine. If you like these kinds of true crime documentaries that you could knock out in an afternoon, if you have nothing to do and you just want to sit down and binge it, you know, it, it's good for that. But, it sounds like it might be two episodes too many, but it does sound intriguing enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I like you know, a good documentary. Uh, I'm not a big fan of true crime just because, you know, sometimes that hits a nerve. Uh, but when it's things like fraud, it's different. I think fraud is a little easier for me to watch. Um, but also, they, like you said, it gets to a point where sometimes you can't sympathize with the person. And then you're just kind of like let down by humanity. You're just like, damn, people are stupid. And, and <laughs> I don't want to I don't know if I want to watch that either. Yeah, it's it's one it's kind of along I mean, you know, there's only so much of this woman's transferring money to this guy who's claiming he can give her basically like everlasting life and make her dog live forever and all these crazy bizarre <laughs> things which you have to just see it to understand the context of it, but I mean, and so she's given him all this money and it's really just to feed his gambling addiction. Like that's what's happening and you just you're like why why would you ever give money to this guy in the first place. Yeah, you know, it's one of those. So, um, but that's Bad Vegan. It is on Netflix. And then the only other movies I was going to talk about, you know, I, I mentioned how in the past there's been a lot of Ted Raimi talk, or <laughs> Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi talk. Ted Raimi's his brother, so it's not like I'm pulling that out of nowhere because um, they write a lot of the stuff, or Ted Raimi's in a lot of Sam Raimi movies. Anyway. <laughs> Sam Raimi is is kind of the talk of the town because um, the Doctor Strange sequel is coming out in a couple weeks and he's directing it. And it's the first movie that he has directed since 2013 when he did Oz, the Great and Powerful. So, I mean, Sam Raimi's obviously still been working. He's producing a lot of stuff. He's out there. But as far as directing stuff goes, he's been pretty quiet and so it's exciting to see him coming back and coming back to the superhero genre. So I've been going back and watching... Uh, re-watching Raimi movies I've seen, but also watching Raimi movies I haven't seen uh, for the first time. So I watched, of course, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness recently, which I have seen before. It's been a while, but man, they're, uh, I mean, I love those movies. Classics, it makes man. you realize why Sam Raimi became who he did, because these are just such the the definitive cult classics, that, and they hold up. I mean, I love watching these. <laughs> but John, have you ever seen Groovy. Dark Man? No. Uh, Gary, have you seen Dark Man? Maybe. So uh, it was—it's the Sam Raimi movie that he made between Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness back in 1990. It stars Liam Neeson, and uh, it is the story—a guy who basically becomes severely burned and everything on his face, but he has—he's a scientist, and he had developed this uh, machine that creates artificial skin. And so that's kind of his, he's like a master of disguise kind of character. Um, this is like a 1990s old superhero movie, but it's a, it's an original. From oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen Dark Man. I'm looking at these pictures. Oh, yeah. I've so. seen Dark Man maybe oh, man. two or three times. Uh, this is one of those movies that used to pop up on like, like late night TV during cable. And so you're just like, well, I guess I'll leave this on because it's terrible. Uh, I didn't even realize this was a Sam Raimi movie, ever. I had never yeah. watched this on purpose, either. 
if you were to watch this again, knowing it's a Sam Raimi movie, like all of his calling cards are there, right? Like this is such has such Sam Raimi energy throughout. Um, I was watching, you know, expecting this to be. I mean, it is cheesy. I mean, what what kind of early Raimi movie isn't in that way? But man, I, it's so much fun. Like, it's just so goofy, and it's not trying to be serious. Um, I had a great time watching this, and I think it just shocked me that, you know, it came out in 1990, so that's 12 years before Spider-Man came out, before mm. Raimi did Spider-Man. But there are so, there's so much DNA of the Spider-Man movies in this, where you can see Raimi's tricks and editing and things that he did later on in Spider-Man are in this movie that he did so much earlier. Um, that it's really fun to watch from that perspective. I just thought this is goofy fun. I absolutely recommend Darkman uh, if you haven't seen it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere for free. I actually purchased it on Apple TV <laughs> to watch it. Um, but I own it now there digitally, and uh, it's great. I'll I'll probably it also rewatch has it. Two sequels. It does. I believe they were direct to to DVD or direct to video sequels. Probably pre DVD. The Return of Durant and Die Darkman Die. Yeah. So um, anyway, I I you know if you are interested in revisiting some Sam Raimi movies in the lead up to Doctor Strange start with Darkman I mean uh, well actually start with the Evil Dead movies you can't go wrong there no but Darkman is definitely fun uh, and a early Francis McDormand perform performance she's the female lead in this and it's just kind of funny seeing her be like the damsel in distress kind of character because now she's known for playing such strong female character roles and seeing back then in the 90s it's just funny um, yeah, so that's it. And then I have some shows that I've been watching, but I've been taking up all the time. So I'll pass it on to y'all to see if there's anything you want to talk about. Nope. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you got anything, Gary? You can go first if you want to. Um, uh, we've all been watching Moon Knight. Yeah. Right? We talked about Moon Knight. <clears throat> Drew, you caught up on Moon Knight? I am. I just watched the uh, most recent episode, which at the time of this recording, there are three episodes out, I believe. And I just watched it last night. Let's, uh, can we talk about Spurlers? Jahan, can you throw up a Spurlers thing for us? Spurlers. This, this podcast will be dropping after oh, episode that's right. four has come out. Yeah. So, so I'd say so we're, we're clear. We're probably clear. But anyone who's listening live right now, uh, episode three Spurler. Yeah. I didn't like episode three. Uh, I've been on board so far. I still like Oscar Isaac's acting. I watched him uh, go straight from being... Um, Mark to being not Mark, just standing there. Mm -hmm. Mark to Steven. It looks yeah, great. Yeah. He does great acting. He did it all with his eyes. He did it all with his muscles and his face. Great work. Great actor. Uh, still liking him. What I particularly didn't like was the way that when they went to speak to the other Egyptian gods, Ashnu yes. acted like a <laughs> child and just screamed and threw a temper tantrum the whole time and try, instead of trying to explain anything, even though the entire show he's been able to talk and explain stuff just fine. Uh, and then Stephen also didn't know what to say. He also just kind of acted like a dick and didn't answer their questions. Um, 
And I still don't know why Mark won't tell his wife girlfriend that Ashnu is going to use her as a vessel if he doesn't play along. It seems like there are these weird, like, narrative blockades that only make sense in the conversations because it's a TV show. And they're like, oh, it's TV show logic, not to spill the beans on this. But, like, if my wife was going to be haunted by the moon ghost, if I said no, I would let her know and be like, I'm the moon ghost man because if I wasn't, then he would take you. See, like, I, I feel like I would reveal that to her. I feel like the reason he doesn't is because she would accept it. She would take that burden from him because knowing that he's doing that for her would trouble her. You know what I mean? It would bother her. It would upset her. And she would probably willingly take on the spirit in order to uh, save the man that she loves, you know? They could also both get on board with, okay, well, then we're not going to be servants for Ashnu. Let him go find somebody else. Um, but since they can't have that conversation, they won't have that conversation. Yeah, but I don't know how much of a choice they have. Uh, exactly. We, do, we don't know. We have There's just this weird TV block. There's this weird conversation that can't be had on TV that's really frustrating me between those two characters. Uh, and then, like I said, the lack of Ashnu not being able to describe to the other gods that this guy was building up an army and all of them are marked with these tattoos and he's killed, you know, dozens of people with his powers. Instead, he was just like, he's going to yes. bring back the god. I do agree. Uh, episode uh, three just really was uh, not the best one so far. I So I liked episode three. Uh, I liked a lot of episode three. The part that you're talking about annoyed me too, where like it was like, Arr, I'm speaking God voice, and then like, ah, uh, uh, you know, like that was annoying. It wasn't good. It didn't translate well. Uh, it was it was silly. It was it was straight up silly. I, I didn't like it. Uh, and then yes, he couldn't explain anything. You know, like why? Come on, like grow grow up. Um, I don't know. And then the other guy comes in, gets to talk all. So some of it definitely seems to be that. Uh, Ethan Hawke's character has some sort of something going on with that one guy in the suit. You know what I mean? Like maybe they have some back back alley dealing going on. It definitely seems like he has something going on on the on the council there. Um, but yeah, that scene wasn't the best. I really enjoyed the sky thing. That was cool. I like that everybody saw it potentially in the entire world. They saw the sky change. Uh, I'm wondering if that's gonna like have some cool tie-in with like uh, Kate Denning's character or Natalie Portman, and where like they finally got to see the ancient sky because that would be a big deal in the scientific community, like to be able to see past skies like that. Um, it could answer questions, and I just think that that's a cool like thing that could happen. Um, and yeah, I also liked him switching back and forth. Uh, I thought it was done really well. And I also I really think the switching back the stars is like a what a cool thing. Yes. And of course the Egyptian god of the moon can do that. Yeah. Like it was so cool. That's the, that's the kind of thing that like when he did it, I'm like, yeah, 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 he could do that. That's fine. That's cool as hell. Why not, right? That was exactly <laughs> the kind of thing I want to see. Yeah. It was everything yeah, I wanted. Was and then yeah, and I also really enjoy how Steven uh, himself is so helplessly in love with their wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's seen her for the first time. He's just completely in love with her. Uh, and also, like, I'm just a huge fan of all the brown people and, you know, the the 
the Middle Eastern music and the culture and the language being displayed not in a negative way. Uh, you know, it's just nice. <laughs> yeah, I think from a culture standpoint, it's cool. I think from a show and some of the story stuff, like I'm kind of with, I'm like in between y'all. I feel like there's a lot of cool moments in a show that's very story and lore heavy. And some of that stuff is, is like a little bit for me, like, okay, you know, we got to come to a screeching halt here so that we can, we can exposition dump and so on. I, I don't know why I've, I've, I've watched all the episodes so far, but I'm just having trouble really getting into it. Like I'm enjoying it for the most part, but there are, I don't, I don't know if I'm just having trouble. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I'm intrigued enough to still keep, see where it's going. I, there's a lot of things about this most recent episode. I liked, I liked the flip from episode one where you had, yes. where you'd have Steven blacking out and then coming back to Steven not knowing what happened in between when Mark was taking over. And I liked the change in perspective in this episode of Mark being in the middle of combat and fighting and then blacking out where presumably Steven took over for a little bit. Although it does allude to the fact that there's another personality. There's a third, one there's in a third there. personality. Yep. I'm excited for that. So there's a lot there that's interesting to me. I just, just some of the stuff like, like what y'all are saying, the, the God talks and things like that, which, which again, I thought that was an interesting set piece. I thought the performance of Oscar Isaac in belting out the, the speech was very good. Um, but I mean, I agree like that, you know, maybe the dialogue's not the best or well thought out. And that's kind of a story issue there. Um, so there's just, it just kind of, I kind of go back and forth the whole time I'm watching where like, I start to get kind of, like, okay, let's get to the next thing. But then there will be a cool fight. Like, I thought the, the actual Moon Knight fight scene in this episode was good with all the... The spears? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I saw the stupidest, clickbaitiest title about this episode. And it said that Oscar Isaacs will no longer be a Marvel superhero. And I clicked on it and it was like, what, did he not get renewed for season two? And they were like, since he lost Ashnu's power, he doesn't have superpowers anymore. So now he's not a superhero. <laughs> and I was like, this is the dumbest article headline I've ever read. This person should feel bad. They should just step out of traffic. <laughs> man, I'm so sick of those headlines, man. It's so annoying. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I really liked, uh, I laughed really hard when he turned into Steven Moon Knight in the suit. And then got stabbed through the chest with a spear. He's like, you take it. You t-. That was really that funny. Was good. Um, and yeah, I forgot about the whole, yeah, he lost his, uh, his whole Khonshu thing, Khonshu's stone now. Um, and so it looks like next episode we get to see them solve problems completely without Khonshu. And that, I think that's going to be interesting. I think we're going to get a look at the third personality during this. Uh, I think next episode is going to be dope. And I like this one. Uh. But it probably you, wasn't my favorite, but it had some of my favorite moments. What you just described is 100% right. We're going to have to see them problem-solving without him. But I don't want to see that. Give me 60% more Moon Knight, not 100% less. I think, <laughs> the, the, I think if they the do... The coolest part yeah. from the last episode was, like you said, when he was fighting the guys with the spears, 
He does the silly multiple personality thing. Now he's in a suit. Now there's a spear in him. Take it back. Now you're Moon Knight again. That's Moon Knight. Now you're reading a Moon Knight book and you're having a good time. Not having Moon Knight isn't... It's not the thing. So I think think if they take this next episode as a chance to explore the characters of Steven and uh, Mark and whoever the third one is, I think that it will allow them to just dump Moon Knight on us for the last couple episodes and it him just you know what I mean? Like I think I it'll do get think the next one will probably be some like sneaking around subterfuge type of spying on Ethan Hawk and seeing what their people are doing so that you can uncover that whole plot, you know, in sort of a splinter cell type of way instead of them kicking in the front door. Mm. Uh, they can let you know where they're excavating, what they're doing, who they're worshiping, and then show the monster come out. And you know that'll that'll be a good set for the next one. Yeah. No, I'm I'm excited um, for it. I'm still in. Uh, Ethan oh. Hawke is the man. That I think is he's such crushing that guy. Mm-hmm. He's crushing. Yeah, he's great. I just I think a lot of my complaints are things that y'all have kind of touched on. It, it, I hate sounding like. <laughs> As somebody who likes movies that make you think and shows that make you think, and I like plot and worlds and everything, I hate that my complaint about Moon Knight is like, eh, less plot. I just want to see Moon Knight fighting stuff more because I feel, I feel like that sounds lame, but that's just kind of my takeaway. I'm like, whenever he's Moon Knight, I'm enthralled. I'm like, oh, yeah, let me see more of this. But I hate, you know, I hate that that makes me sound kind of lame, I think. I mean, it's fine to to want that. It's a superhero show, you know. That's you know, that's what you're here for. Uh, I I mean, honestly, him in the when he's Moon Knight isn't like. I I mean, it is cool. Uh, but it's it's. I really enjoy his like multiple personality people stuff when he's fumbling through life um, a lot. Personally, I don't know. I just I think it's funny. Yeah, Moon Knight. That was it. All right. Moon Knight. Yeah, moving on. What's next? Uh, so, uh, I'm watching is also back to HBO. Tony Hawk was on HBO. This was on HBO. Um, but it is. Oh, I'm sorry. I popped back in. The next one uh, is another HBO, just like Tony Hawk was an HBO. Except this one is uh, from True TV. And it's <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe like 10 years old. Um, Look, if you're looking for something to watch before bed or just something to watch real quick while you're snacking on a cheese roll-up, so you're not trying to sign up for a whole show or a whole movie. You just want to pop something on, maybe you want to walk away and go to bed soon. Impractical Jokers is <laughs> on HBO Max now. Yeah. And uh, I had seen Impractical Jokers on and off uh, over the years. You know, it's one of those shows that just happens to be on and you catch a little bit. Uh, it's nice to be able to, I guess, it, it, like I said, it's a good show to just put on. Um, there will be times when I've played enough of a video game and I'm getting ready to go to bed, but it's not quite bedtime yet. And 15 minutes of watching best friends play mostly harmless pranks on each other is always a good time. Um, I don't know if you know what Impractical Jokers is. I'm sure most people have heard of it, but yeah. maybe not. Uh, it's four best friends since high school doing like hidden camera type of pranks on people mostly in New York all the guys are New Yorkers so there is a little bit of that I don't know if these guys are funny or if they're just dickheads from New York like <laughs> I, sometimes they they ride that line 
pranks yeah. on each other or pranks on random people? Each other. Both. Mostly each other. It's though. it's both. Uh most yeah, it is mostly each other, but they, they're they, uh interacting with people in the public. Yeah. But usually they have to say things, they have an earpiece in and they have to say things that they may not necessarily want to say. Things that could embarrass the crap out of them or make the other person angry. Yeah, they, inter- uh, but they interact in- with people, uh, but they it, it's in a way that's uncomfortable for the actor, not necessarily the person. You know what I mean? They're not like tripping people down the stairs or anything. Yeah, there's a you know there's a line. Of course, sometimes they're messing with people. Like there's a game where they. Uh, you're, they're both in the grocery store and they have post-it notes and you have to see how many post-it notes you can get on a person before they leave the aisle and you can only put them on one at a time so like you walk over, talk to a guy put a post-it note on, then I walk over talk to him, put a post-it note on him then you walk over, then I walk over and if he leaves the aisle, whoever has the most post-it notes wins Yeah. Uh, so it's things like that, you know, sometimes they mess with people and people can potentially get upset but most of the time it's, it's pretty low stakes it's low stakes and it's it's just a good fun time. Uh, it's nowhere near as raunchy as Jackass. No one's getting hit in the balls and no one's getting pooped on or peed on. It's reel it way way back in. Uh, <laughs> it's just silly stuff that you could get away with doing. Um, that is impractical jokers. You're just looking for something to watch, to laugh, to have a good time. Uh, since they are real friends since. Uh, high school and it shows you know that kind of camaraderie you can't uh, you can't stage it you know yeah. watching friends goof off and be friends is just something lighthearted about it and it, since it's scene after scene after scene and it's sort of improv comedy there's almost always a chance for me I'll, I'll laugh out loud once or twice every episode just because i'm not expecting what they're gonna say or how the person will respond and so it's good for laughs, man. If you're looking for a laugh, check out Impractical Jokers. Have you, have John, you I not, see you've been watching. What, what? Have, you, have you not seen Impractical Jokers, Drew? Never seen an episode. That's crazy, man. Uh, yeah, dude. Like Impractical Jokers, me and Jenny watch it all the time. My cousin loves watching it. Uh, I it feel really... like they're always around. Like they do tour and do sh- live shows and stuff. Like you can see the Impractical Jokers. Like I've always seen that, but I, like I couldn't. Pull any of the guys out of a lineup. I, I've never watched an episode. I don't know yeah. at all. No, I mean it's Every definitely worth watching. It's make, fun. They'll make jokes about that too. Like they'll be on the show, like because usually when it happens, it'll be like two guys out in a scene and then two guys behind, like watching the cameras with mics that can talk to them in their ears. And they'll, they'll do cutaways to where they look at each other and they're like, people wonder, you know, how do they not recognize you? I don't know. We've been on for nine seasons and people still don't know our faces. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, I would recognize them, but most people probably wouldn't, right? Yeah. And and even if you did, wouldn't you'd probably be like, man, that guy kind of looks like that go guy from Impractical Jokers. You may not even think it was them until it was too late. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a fun show, Drew. You should check it out. Uh... I've seen I've seen all of it. I even saw the movie in theaters. Me and Jenny went and saw the the movie in theaters, uh, and that was pretty. That was a good time. Um, but yeah, I'm man, it really into it. It really helped I'm get like us deep into season five or six now. Like I'm I'm really cruising through it. It's an easy watch. I, yeah, I've seen all of it. Uh, yeah, it really helped get me and Jenny through like quarantine. Like we were just watching it, watching it. Uh, like the first. I mean, you remember like early quarantine. <laughs> That was that was an interesting period of time, uh, and we were just we'd watch like 
15 episodes a day, you know? Uh, yes. yes, I do know. Yeah. And, you know, every now and again, it's we'll easy. still pop it on when we feel, you know, bored. It's easy to watch. That's what I'm saying. It it's is really easy, easy to watch. watch. Um, Jahan, I see that you've been watching something, and then I'll talk about some things I've been playing. Yeah, man. Uh, this is also HBO. Uh, Young Justice. I've been yeah, yeah. re-watching Young Justice uh, because, you know, I got bored waiting for the new episodes of Season 4 to come out. Got to the end of my rewatch, um, And then they were like, hey, play next episode. I was like, what? Uh, so apparently the they are coming out now. They're coming out every Thursday. Um... And I am caught up. I've watched I watched like four or five new ones that I'd previously not seen. A lot of questions are a- answered. Uh, this season seemed to have like a lack of continuity. Yeah, what's up, Gary? They good again yet? So yeah, uh, I I like it. I like what's going on. They're definitely exploring the, uh, the characters you want to see a little bit more again. Um, not exploring some of the ones I really want to see, but like so season four has like the whole like magic group of people kind of like heavily involved for part of it and that's really cool uh i like that stuff but uh right i don't know like they're kind of finally bringing together season four because like there was like this storyline and then this storyline and they did not intersect whatsoever but they're all kind of starting to 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 come together a bit and it's it's pretty cool there's an episode you're gonna hate gary you're gonna (laughs) hate it because uh it involves more than one forager and no and they they mention like they even mention it in the show uh because like they're like forager is the one that wants to see forager's home and then we go see forge and like they won't shut up and one of the characters is like wow this isn't gonna get confusing at all (laughs) and like it's just it's really bad but uh it's not the longest sequence it's just i know you're gonna hate that part like you wonder why people join the uh, the Empire and why they would want to glass planets, and it's because <laughs> of aliens. It's like that, <laughs> mildly annoying aliens justifying genocide. Yeah, uh, now you got it. <laughs> now I got it. Uh, but no, man. Uh, Young Justice still still good. Um, I you know I want more. I'm hoping for like season five, six, seven, eight, nine, but. Doesn't look like there will be, but like it didn't look like there would be a season three or four either. So, no, they started talking about Islam really hard too in this season. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's crazy because like you know it scares people. But uh, I thought it was cool. I was like, hey, representation, yay! They did it. <laughs> Gary's face. <laughs> <laughs> I froze for a second, but that's great. You can't talk about Islam, it scares people. You don't talk about that in comic books. Right. Alright. Let's pop over to what I'm playing. Let's pop over to my to my Xbox, Jahan. What's my Xbox looking like this week? Um I picked up Orcs Must Die 3. It was on sale for $15, and I knew I was gonna pick it up when it came out for Xbox if it was on a reasonable sale. Um oh, wait, been... haven't you played this game already? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I know. I'm great. joking because I remember y'all talking about how much <laughs> you liked it on PC, and I remember you saying, "Yeah, me and Gary beat the crap out of this game." The moment that it came out on Xbox, you're going to play it again, and I, uh, I do, yeah. I just have to hold you accountable. You lived up to your word. You, you said it you was, would, and you uh, did. 
Yeah, me and Gary, we're currently on our, like, endless mode playthrough. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we, were, we were giving it the grease. Um, I set Annie's Xbox as my home Xbox, and then I bought the game, so now we have the game on both Xboxes. So we can both play it together for the low, low price of $15. Um, it's already been more than $15 worth of fun. We're, like, eight levels in. We're five-starring everything. And we're retrying until we five-star stuff and trying it new ways and different ways. Um, anybody who's just hearing about Orcs Must Die 3 for the first time, it's a third-person shooter-slash-trap game. Uh, you have dozens of traps to choose from. You can put down floor traps, wall traps, and ceiling traps. Um, and orcs come out of a door, and they try to get to your crystal. And you and your friends kill them by setting up a maze of traps. It's kind uh, of like a tower defense game. game. Yeah, it's like a tower defense game and a third-person shooter. Um, It's great. You should check it out. I can't talk enough about Orcs Must Die 3. I love it. I absolutely love it. $15. Well, that was two weeks ago when it recorded, so (laughs) keep an eye out. Actually, you know what? Knowing my luck, Jahan, I bought it $15 on sale. This will be on Game Pass next week. Orcs Must Die 2 never did, uh, but maybe. Orcs 3, uh, so yeah, Orcs Must Die is one of my favorite franchises of all time. I remember playing the original uh, on Xbox. second one never came to Xbox, so I had to get it on PC. Um, and the third one came out. So the second one, Masterpiece, fantastic. First one, great, awesome. First one, single player only. Second one, they introduced co-op. Third one, still have co-op. I feel, so even though Orcs Must Die 3 was kind of disappointing for me, uh, they didn't really change too much. Um, and it was, it feels kind of light content wise, honestly, like the story was kind of short and kind of meh. Um, and they added like this new war mode that is kind of cool, but it's also kind of garbage. It's kind of boo-boo. Like it's, it's this massive battle, whereas normally you're just guarding a corridor, uh, in the war mode, there's like these big fields and you can set up traps however, and like you can set up like these towers, they have war mode only weapons, uh, that you can employ, and it just kind of felt like uh, it felt very incomplete. Uh, and then it now has two DLCs. I haven't touched them yet. Uh, I'm gonna grab them, but there are two D- DLCs that I want to play with Gary. Uh, but I hear bad things about them, and that's a little oh, upsetting. Yeah. Uh, that is upsetting. Well, I heard bad things about the the second one. The or the first one, the second DLC yeah. just came out like the other day. Okay, so I had also the same thing. I had heard bad things about the first one, but really good things about the second one. Oh, the second one's supposed uh, to be good. Yeah, cool. It is because they introduced a whole new like uh, species that you have to fight that's never been in an Orcs Must Die game. They're like lizard folk. It's um, supposed to be really, really hard. Cool. Oh, yeah. No. The the <laughs> honestly, like I can't. We we kind of Hulk smashed through Orcs Must Die three real bad. Um, and that's not fun. This game's supposed to be, like, I love the first one because it was challenging. Where you say it's not fun, I think that is one of the draws to Orcs Must Die 3, especially for a Game Pass game, which I think it should be a Game Pass title. If it's going to have that level of difficulty, I think that's perfect for Game Pass. $15. This is an easy game. It's a co-op game. For $15, this game is spectacular worth every penny. But as a fan of the series, I wanted more. Uh... I also want more, but I also just want more Orcs Must Die. That's true. Yeah, I, I'll play anything I, they put what, out. What I want 
out of Orcs Must Die it will not come out of Orcs Must Die 3. It's going to have to come out of Orcs Must Die 4. I want more. The game doesn't have enough. But Orcs Must Die 3 is a great game, and you should check it out and play it. It um, is a good time. Especially if you have a friend. It's really fun in co-op. I'm sure it's just fine by yourself, um, but it's really fun in co-op. Just flinging dozens and dozens of orcs off the side of a cliff and watching them all fall ragdoll physics to their death is funny every time. True warning, yeah. Yeah, it's I use springboard traps and just throw people off the map. It's so funny. Uh, speaking of my favorite games of all time, Drew, you you like turn-based like strategy games, right? So right now on PC, not not at the time that this is coming out, like right now in real life, what at the time of filming, uh, what, what's it called? Epic Game Store has XCOM 2 free, completely free. Like you can go get it, play it free. It is one of my favorite games of all time. Like period. It's it's one of my favorite franchises. I I uninstalled it because it ruined it was ruining my life because I couldn't stop playing, and I would be <laughs> up until like 9 a.m. I'd be like, all right. Uh, c- cool story, Jahan. Good job. Good job being up till 9 a.m., you loser. But yeah, uh, go go get XCOM 2. That's all I have to say. I don't even have what I've been playing on my list, but I, I've been deep into uh, Persona 5 Royal is what I've been playing. I've seen is... you playing that, yeah. Yeah, so I'm playing it on my PlayStation. Uh Persona 5 came out in like 2017 and then with the Persona games they a lot of times they'll re-release the game but with a bunch of extra stuff to it not like DLC I mean like they'll change a lot of things of the game like dungeons have different maps and things like that um with their re-release and so I played Persona 5 back in 2017 and Persona 5 Royal came out in like 2020 but I'm just now getting around to it because I picked it up at a in a sale for 20 bucks and uh, ever since I finished Horizon, because I'd been playing on my PlayStation, I was like, ah, maybe I'll finally jump into Persona 5 Royal. And I think I'm... I, my save file right now has 96 hours on it or something that I've put into it in a month or so. Like, it's unhealthy. Um, but I've been playing this game a lot, and it's a Japanese RPG to the core. It all takes place in Japan, and you're, you know group of friends and you go into dungeons and you do turn-based rpg turn-based rpg stuff but when you're not doing that you're like going to class and hanging out with your friends and you choose every day what you do like went to class today and then after school what do i want to do and you improve your bonds with different friends or teachers or or um acquaintances and so you're constantly and you know buffing your stats like your kindness and your charm and your knowledge and things like that so you can excel in other things it's very strange it's very japanese and it's very very fun if you like turn-based rpgs i'm playing it for a second time and it's like a good hundred hour game so is that the game where you have to shoot yourself in the face to summon your persona or something no not quite it's i think not- in the i think in the earlier games you did that and it was problematic Maybe so in the earlier ones. You don't do that in this one, in this. But yeah, you in in combat you summon personas, which are, are like basically summons that attack for you in battle, and you can 
capture new ones. It's almost like Pokemon in that regard. Like you can catch new personas and add them to your arsenal or or fuse ones that you currently have into new ones. But yeah, it's really fun. Highly recommend it. <laughs> it is on PlayStation. Yes, it was Persona <laughs> 3. Persona 3 used to summon your persona by your character would pull out a gun and shoot themselves in the face. <laughs> Dang, that's horrifying. Yeah. Um, I knew I knew I'd heard that. Uh I remember the first time I played this game. It was it's so out there with the storyline, like it's just so bizarre, um, because it's so Japanese to its core with like the writing, and it was very it was kind of hard for me to adapt to it. But once you do, oh man, it's so good, it's so good. The last game I've been playing, I also picked up on a sale. I've always got my eyes out trying to find something new or fresh or fun to play. Uh, I've never played a Disciples game before, and I guess it's this is part of a, a series of games. Oh, this looks cool. Uh, yeah, so I, this one I wouldn't recommend for Drew. I would recommend for Jahan. Um, it is a turn-based dark fantasy setting where you're playing this... Uh, you can use... You're playing this female lead character. You almost get killed by the bad guys and you wake up in this like secret city like this secret mythical city in the middle of the world uh, and it is your base you can like destroy some of the structures there and turn them into new bases and you build units here um so you build units right that's kind of the thing in the game your yeah, units can good. die permanently but your heroes and your companions when they die they revive after battle with like very little health they don't stay perma dead uh, but all your other units do you can have units from the Empire. You can have units from the Elven Alliance. You can have units from the Undead Horde or units from the Legions of the Damned. Uh, so you can build whatever you want, and then you pick which part of the world you want to go to and who you want to make your allies in like a, a, a Dragon Age type of way. Like, it doesn't matter who you go to first, but once you pick one, that's who you're going to talk to. Uh, so I immediately built a bunch of demon units, and I went straight to the demon place, and now I am, like, the demon champion of the pits. Uh, and I went to the demon pit fighting place and did all the subquests there, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So the way the game works is it's grid, turn-based fighting, sort of like a chessboard. You can have a bunch of forward units based on how high your character's command is, and then you can put units on your back line, who can't be targeted. They just do a like sort of buff or debuff move. Uh, so I have a Banshee back there who screams and confuses people, and then a zombie back there who pukes on people and slows them. Nice. Uh, and everything else I have is bloodthirsty demons running around. Um, the So that's how the actual combat works. The overworld in the game sort of looks kind of Diablo-esque, but it's more Wandering Monster Engine, where there's somebody with, like, a yellow exclamation point above their head, and they'll run at you to fight you. Uh, also, that's where you get your side quests from. The side quests are really easy to manage. They don't get lost in your inventory. It's just up and down on the D-pad to track your quests. Uh, decisions matter. The way you talk to people, what you say. I was able to convince somebody not to take a, a potion that would make their adrenaline, like they wanted to be the best fighter in the world and they wanted to go into the demon fighting pits, but they were a human and they were like, if I get this adrenaline potion, I can do it. And I was like, look, you're never going to be a demon. Like, how about you just hang out with us and you don't take this potion? 
And so then that person joined my army now. And then I just got like a regular unit because it wasn't anybody special. It wasn't a companion, but just talking to people has different results. So it has all the things I'm looking for in a game except for character customization. Um, but other than that one small complaint, I am loving Disciples Liberation. It doesn't really need a custom character because of all the custom dialogue. Um, you're also playing this whole team. You're playing this whole army. Um, and at the end, it seems like the army is going to be huge. Right now, I have like eight units on the field, and I'm only level five. So I think this is going to be a real, real fun game when I get to late game and I have a bunch of nasty buffed up boys. Actually, I, I, I've been watching. Like I have, I have it up right now, like on Steam, uh, like on screen for everyone to see. And it's, I'm, I'm watching a little video. It's pretty cool, man. Uh, Back in the early exactly Grand Theft like the Auto kind of games, into, yeah. in like uh, Grand Theft Auto and Grand Theft Auto Two, literally the first two there were sliders for which gang you fought with, which gang you represented and who liked you and who didn't. Um, and so, of course, you can't have max out with everybody. That's a thing that's changed over the years in games where now most of the time you can have maxed out reputation with everybody. If you're late game, everybody loves you. This game goes back to that old school style that I like a little bit more. Where it's like, look, if you're going to side with the demons, like by the end of the game, probably mostly only the demons are going to like you. You may have a secondary ally, but like the humans by the end of the game aren't going to like the fact that you're working with the demons and the undead. They're going to be pissed. Uh, and so that's something I look forward to also is, you know, even who you support chooses who your late game adversaries will be. Um, so it's uh, Disciples, Liberation. It's got all the things I'm looking for. It's very strategy-based. Uh, it's pretty slow, but it's also simple. The controls are easy. The menus aren't overcomplicated. So it is the kind of game that you can play, put down, and come back to without feeling completely overwhelmed like you need to restart, um, which I like. I like that. And that's it. That's all I've got for games. Having a lot of fun playing I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know, I, I guess, I would say, I'd let you know how Orcs Must Die is, but you already know that, <laughs> and you also already know that I'm just playing a gross amount of Monster Train. I found out yes. that in Monster Train, <laughs> if you have over, like, 100 corruption points, then you fight a second boss, and if you fight the second boss after you beat the main boss, well, then you get extra special shiny cards, not just gold cards, you get shiny cards. Jeez, Gary. So... So, yeah, so now I have to, I'm going through and beating the main boss and then having to beat a second boss uh, back to back. So, don't worry about me. I'm just playing Monster Train. Hey, man, as long as you like, I mean, that, that's how I felt about, you're doing what I did with XCOM. Uh, <laughs> it's, you're grinding it out, man. <laughs> it doesn't keep me up at night either. It's just, it's, it actually, it's almost like sweatpants when I, because I'll play anything else. And then it's like, you know, like, just like in Practical Jokers, it's like, you know, I'm going to go to bed in like game. an hour. Yeah, let's let's play some Monster Train before bed. And, uh, you know, the first thing, you know, you get up in the day, you get all your chores out of the way, and you're like, let me just sit down and play some games before I do anything else. I'm going to play an hour of Monster Train. It's, it's just the right shape and size for me. It just fits so well. Yeah, it hasn't been the best for the podcast for me because I've only been doing Elden Ring lately. 
and so I don't have a lot to talk about game wise. Uh, I'm still I was playing Elden Ring before this. I killed another dragon. I got the glowstone key to enter the magic academy, and I have these cool new spells. I got some of the best spells in the game. Uh, doing some quests, I have like this silver mist that like it hurts me too if I walk into. It. I don't know. Elden Ring's been dope, but that's all. That's all I've been playing. It's so weird. Such weird people are playing Elden Ring. So it's not weird to me that you are at all. It makes sense that you are. But Nick Chad got Elden Ring, and he's put like hundred, maybe not hundreds of hours, but twenties of hours into it. I'm not that surprised. Well, then I saw the other day that Blake got it. It's like the first time he signed on his Xbox in like forever. That one's a little more surprising. And he signed on to play Elden Ring. I was like, huh, I'll be damned. Bro, I'm telling you, man. It's, it's just that kind of game, man. I think people are just straight up interested. It's one of the. It's it's so fun. The whole like it's literally the second you get bored, like what I do, I get bored. Right, I get stuck on a boss. I'm bored. I go to a different part of the map. I'm no longer bored. I'm having fun. And then I'm like, ooh, what's that? Ooh, what's that? Hey, look over there. There's a shiny thing. Ooh, what's that enemy? I've never seen that before. That's crazy. I'm going to go mess with it just to see if it can kick my ass or what. Oh, are those just dragons fighting in a field? Let me go mess. You know? It's just fun. Have you seen the Elder, the Elden Ring, like, folk legend guy who was born on the internet? (laughs) No. His his name, I think his name is Let Me Solo Her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a guy who plays Elden Ring. Yeah. He helps you solo. He helps you fight the last boss, but only if you let him solo the last boss. He wears a bucket on his head and a loincloth and mm-hmm. has two katanas. Uh, his image is starting to pop up all over the internet. He's, yeah, there's a few of those like super badass Elden Ring players around. Yeah, let me solo her. I will that never be exactly, one of them. I, exactly. IGN had an article. We spoke to let me solo her, the Elden Ring community hero we need and deserve. And then The Verge had a headline that said, I tried to duo with let me solo her in Elden Ring, and it didn't go well. <laughs> Taku said, Elden Ring player let me solo her has become a total legend among fans. So I'm not even a fan of Elden Ring, and I know who this is because I was looking at a video game thing that it was like, you know, top 10 video game characters of 2022. And I'm like, what the fuck is this from Elden Ring? And it's let me solo her. So now I know even this this yeah. legendary folklore type of character born in the internet, born from Elden Ring. Um, it's it's a cool world we live in, man. It's like a, it's like a fireside folktale. Yeah, Except man, it's, it's this guy. It's, I don't know, man, it's, this game is the current video game pop culture. It just is. Uh, I'm playing it. My younger brother's playing it. Uh, my older brother's husband is playing it. And it's to the point where my older brother, who this is not his kind of game, might play it. <laughs> you man, know what I mean? on the fence. If it was in my house already, like it's in his house, I'd be playing it. I just, yeah, it's in, it's in his think- house already. Drew and I talked about this. I would love to pick this game up at half price. If, mm. if I can get Elden Ring at $40, I'll pick it up. Yeah. Uh, I just don't want to pay full price for something that I'm positive that I'm not going to like because I don't like Souls games. I yeah. know I'm not going to like it. I, and and I'm going to force myself to like it. I just don't want to do it at the price of $60. You might hate it, and like in the beginning, it's punishing and really, really hard. But once you get over like a little hump, like once you like get into the world, once you get your mount which is pretty early, uh, and once you level up a few times, you can kind of start having a pretty damn good time, I'd say. 
But yeah, I'm not going to talk about Elden Ring anymore, sorry. All right, well, that's all of our video games. It's all of our movies, and that's all of our streaming shows. Uh, does anybody want to talk about anything else? Nah, I'm good. Want to get any deep, dark secrets off your chest and share mm, them with our deep, viewers? Deep, dark secrets. You let them know where the body is buried. <laughs> They'll never find it. <laughs> you got to wait till episode 100 to find out where the body's buried. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I've been Jahanan at Rock Fact on Twitter. Hit us up with uh, hashtag Yo Mama. Uh, I don't care. Oh. I don't care what you do. Hashtag Monster Train Sweatpants. Yeah, there you go. Hashtag Monster Train Sweatpants uh, to let us know what your guilty pleasure or comfort game is. Uh, I'm Casualty CDG. I'm the co-host of Fresh Out the Box and Fresh Out the Podcast. Uh, looks like I got a couple of texts. I'm also going to be the co-host of Fresh Out the Kitchen, uh, Fresh Out the Shoebox, and Fresh Out the Aquarium. Okay, so look forward to me doing those shows next week. Um, if you like tabletop games, check out me and Jahan every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's when we play tabletop games, we read rules, and we talk to professionals from the industry. The tabletop industry. In the board game industry. Um, tell your friends about Fresh Out the Podcast. We we have... We're the best podcast. We are. And I am uh, Drew Munhausen. You can catch me at Drew Munhausen on Twitter. And again, this has been episode 42 of Fresh Out the Podcast. We will catch you next time. <laughs> Stay fresh.